All right, everybody, welcome to the fifth episode of the Backseat Huddle Podcast. I am your host, Tristan Weber, and as always, I will be taking you around the NFL, giving you my unrequited and uneducated opinion around the NFL. I'm going to go ahead and start off with the Ravens this week. So the Ravens, uh, at one point, were up 22-3 early to mid-ish in the fourth quarter against the Bills this week. And the Bills ended up staging a really remarkable comeback in the second half. They did score that touchdown right before halftime. And they ended up winning the game 23-20 on a late field goal. But the story of the game very much was the fourth down call for the Ravens late in the fourth quarter, about three minutes left. I'm going to go ahead and play that for my YouTube audience. Sorry to my Spotify audience out there. So people are really upset about this call okay there's a lot of backlash for going for it because they missed it because lamar threw the interception and i understand why people are upset but i also understand why they went for it so first and foremost the ravens have with lamar jackson have a history of going for on fourth down taking big risks it's in their dna it's in their culture it is part of what they do so whatever you want to call it it is it is par for the course for them to go for those types of plays so you have a here's the way that they look at it is that you obviously have justin tucker who is one of the best kickers in the nfl but alternatively you have one of the best players in the nfl and at that moment the mvp front runner in lamar jackson so the logic behind keeping your best player on the field and giving your best player an opportunity to effectively win the game for you makes sense. So they played to win the game. You do. You play to win the game. And that's what they did. According to Amazon's next-gen stats, shout out to them for this, at the moment when they lined up on fourth down, they had a 64% chance to win the game. If they scored that touchdown, it jumped up to 84%. That's a big jump. That is a huge jump. And that is exactly what they were doing. They were playing to win the game. Now, part of this, you also have to take into consideration who's on the other side of the field. If you look on the other side of the field, at that moment, you had the high, rather, you had the MVP front runner. But guess who was on the other side of the field? The other. MVP front runner in Josh Allen that has to be taken into consideration there are people out there who say you you know you should have kicked the field goal you should have trust your defense but why would you trust your defense in an NFL where all the rules lean offense where you've had trouble stopping the defense all or other your defense has had trouble stopping Josh Allen for the entire second half and we're living in an era where what great quarterback would you expect not to go down and at least kick the field goal. So you can say you should have trust your defense all that you want, but you know what you could really probably trust your defense to do? Stop them from scoring a touchdown. What they did is they basically said, we're, we're going to score this touchdown and we're going to make you earn the right to go to overtime with us. Because I don't want to say it's a foregone conclusion, but at, at what point is it almost not a foregone conclusion that they're going to get at least that field goal? Because, like I said, currently all the rules lean offense, and you're looking at a great quarterback on the other side of the field. That plays a major part 
in making that decision to go for the touchdown is they wanted to make the Buffalo Bills earn the right to go to overtime with them versus just kick the field goal like every single other team and great quarterback would make happen. Lastly, John Harbaugh brought this up after the game. He was influenced by the fact that if they just don't convert, not that Lamar throws the interception, they just don't convert, the Buffalo Bills would be starting at the two yard line that is a really far field okay that's 50 to 60 yards just to get into field goal territory that played a part but another part that i don't think john harbaugh touched on quite enough is what makes more sense to try to make them drive 55 to 60 yards for a field goal or 80 yards after the touchback for the touchdown that's obviously a big difference that 15 yards plays a big difference, and then as we all know, the field gets tighter in the end zone, so it makes it more difficult for them to get that touchdown to score that game. If Lamar just throws an incompletion, we are potentially looking at a different game. It's very likely the Buffalo Bills would have won all the same, but the interception getting those, those extra 15 yards makes a big deal. Secondarily, it is worth noting, and this is, has nothing to do with the fourth down play, it is worth noting Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott had an excellent second half holding Lamar Jackson. Like I said, the MVP front runner and his unique style of play in the Baltimore Ravens, unique offense, them holding them defensively to zero points in the second half. Absolutely deserves to be recognized. Great job to them. That was a really impressive defensive adjustment for them after the Ravens looked really good on offense for the entirety of the first half. So, I'm going to go ahead and move on as we're speaking about defensive adjustments. The Kansas city chiefs put up 41 points in a victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this week. And to a point, I believe that they exposed the Buccaneers. I don't necessarily think that they expose them as a bad team or an overrated team. I do still think the Buccaneers are very well in position to make the super bowl. I just think that they expose them as a team without great or elite coaching. So Sunday night, the difference in coaching between Andy Reid and Todd Bowles was absolutely on display, and the game looked like what it was. It looked like a Hall of Fame head coach versus, well, at least what I think, is a good to very good NFL head coach. And what really shocked me was, after halftime, nothing changed. So I'm a big Tom Brady fan and by extension, a big Buccaneers fan. And since he got there, Brady did. Todd Bowles has been excellent after halftime. It has happened over and over again. And it was even highlighted last week against the Green Bay Packers, which in that game, Aaron Rodgers threw for just under 200 yards in the first half. And obviously they scored 14, almost 21 points. And then the second half, Aaron Rodgers threw for close to 80 yards, and they just got shut out completely in the second half. So it is a fairly well-known thing that Todd Bowles is a really good defensive coach, but even more so after halftime. And they just kept scoring. It didn't matter. They just kept scoring. One area I will give Todd Bowles a little bit of leeway for Sunday night was that the Kansas City Chiefs ran for almost 200 yards on Sunday night. 
there's not really a ton of coaching that can go into one team running for 200 yards. That's just one team asserting their will on another team. I don't know how much coaching can go into the offensive line just moving people around than just being better. I don't feel like there's a scheme necessarily for that. However, that being said, the bigger issue was the difference, and this is not a fair comparison, the bigger issue Sunday night between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was the difference between Andy Reid and Byron Leftwich. You saw in spurts how creative Andy Reid is, and you see it every time they take the field, a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, you're seeing the fake screens. You're seeing the third-string tight end get behind center and take a snap. You see it a little bit each drive every time they take the field. And if you've watched the Buccaneers games, what do you see offensively? You have seen Leonard Fournette run it up the middle on first down and then a whole lot of average. This team offensively has become really, it feels like Tom Brady or bust. And it does not feel like they have that same, and you can see it optically. You can literally watch the creativity of the Kansas City offense and then the lack thereof on the Tampa Bay offense. And it very much does feel like it's Tom Brady or bust, which is not necessarily a bad thing because you have the greatest of all time to lean on. But it would be even better if you had the offensive creativity of an Andy Reid to go along with that. Patrick Mahomes very much benefits from that Andy Reid factor, and Tom Brady does not get that same level of coaching offensively and creativity offensively that, that Mahomes gets to enjoy. All that being said, is it really a Tom Brady Buccaneers season if they don't get embarrassed in primetime? This is absolutely nothing new for them. We saw it each of the past two seasons against the Saints, and then we saw it this season against the Kansas City Chiefs. So that's just part of life as a Buccaneers fan watching them in primetime. They get embarrassed at least once. Now, if you are a Tampa fan, there are some things that you are able to look at and see some nice things. So there are some things that happened that were good, like the offense finally clicked. They finally put up some points. They got Rashad White involved in the passing game. Now, obviously, he had that crucial fumble, which I'll talk about in just a second. But he looked solid. And if he does not follow, if he does not fumble that kickoff, that game is very likely a 34 to 31 game. And that feels a lot better than it being a 10-point Kansas City victory. So that does at least feel like a nice moral victory. Uh, and their Tampa Bay schedule softens up a lot. They're likely going to win seven to eight of their next seven or eight of their next eight games they are likely going to win. Their schedule softens up a lot in the next three games. They're going to be taking on the Panthers, the Falcons, and the Steelers. Not in that order, but that's their next three opponents. They got a little bit of time to figure it out, too. Kansas City, meanwhile, they firmly reestablished themselves as an AFC elite, as if there was any question I mean, once again, we saw that offense on full display and the defense to a point in the first half did look solid forcing that fumble on Tom Brady, confusing him, which is not an easy thing to do. But there are still some concerns for me on this team defensively as they did allow Tom Brady to throw for 385 yards and three touchdowns with no interceptions, which is a concern when you're in a conference with the likes of Josh Allen, like I said, Lamar Jackson, like I talked about, Joe Burrow. That is a concern 
for them, but they will absolutely still be competing for the AFC crown. Okay. So another game, the Packers beat the Patriots in overtime 27 to 24 in a game. I tried really hard not to watch because I swore it was going to be a snoozer, but it absolutely was not. This actually ended up being a really exciting game in the second half. And I don't actually have a lot of takeaways from this game. However, there was one major takeaway from this game for me, and that was that offensive lines absolutely still matter. They don't matter as much as they once did because we've seen, you know, the Bengals were below average last season. The Rams were below average last season. Both those teams reached the Super Bowl. The Bills offensive line is fairly average this season, and they are definitely a Super Bowl favorite. But offensive lines still matter. Right now, the Patriots have the best offensive line in the NFL, and it is covering up some of their deficiencies offensively. So Sunday, I really wasn't impressed with their coaching, their play calling, their playmakers, their skill position. Devontae Parker seems to be having a breakout season. But I wasn't really impressed with anything that they do. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't take great skill position players. It doesn't take great offensive coaching. When your offensive line opens up a hole, I could run through for six yards. Ramondre Stevenson was averaging 4.7 yards per carry. That's almost five yards. So really, you have to give him the ball twice, and you basically already have a first down. So it does not take a lot offensively when your offensive line is just road grading everybody. See the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Kansas City Chiefs did effectively the same thing. Uh, but on Sunday's game, here's coming back to the Patriots thing here. On Sunday's game, given that they were out their first and second string quarterback and had to rely on Bailey Zappi, the Western Kentucky phenom rookie, do we really believe that game comes anywhere close to being in overtime if they have the Bengals offensive line? If they're getting, if Bailey Zappi's getting chased around, absolutely not. I have to give them a ton of credit for keeping them being the Patriots offensive line. I have to give them a ton of credit for keeping Bailey Zappi relatively clean and opening giant holes for their running backs. They kept them in that game on Sunday. That game is not anywhere as close if they're not what they are. On the other side of things, I am still absolutely right about the Green Bay Packers. I've said they have a ceiling. They're not a Super Bowl contender, and I'm right. On Sunday, they managed to overcome a Tim Tebow stat line in the first half from Aaron Rodgers, where he went 3 of 10 with a pick 6 for 38 yards in the first half. Ouch. The Packers are absolutely going to be held back for the rest of the season by their lack of playmakers on the outside. We saw Romeo Dobbs drop that bomb that would have effectively won the game. We saw the miscommunications all over the place. That's going to continue to plague them for the rest of the season. This team is not a contender, and I'm going to try not to talk about them for the rest of the season unless something really, really weird happens. Because at this point, in my opinion, the Packers are boring. We know what they are. We know what they're going to be. We know what their ceiling is, and people are consistently overrating that team. They are not a real Super Bowl contender. <clears throat> So I'd like to move on with that all being said, I'd like to move on to an NFL issue. So the NFL 
The NFL has a delay of game penalty issue. We see it every single week. There is something weird happening with a delay of game. And it feels like it's every single game. I'm going to go ahead and show my YouTube audience once again. I'm going to go and show you the Bailey Zappi touchdown from last week where he has two, three, four seconds after the clock has hit double zero. Sorry for my Spotify audience once again. So teams are regularly snapping the ball what feels like one, two, three seconds after the clock has hit double zeros. And the issue with this is there isn't really a great remedy for it because Here's what the rule is. It's some weird, goofy rule where they have one judge looking at the clock, and then once it hits double zeros, they see it, they look at it, and then they look to the ball to see if it snapped, and then they, if it's not snapped, they call the whistle. It's something really, really weird, and I understand why the rule is like this. It's like this, so what they're not doing is staring at the double. They're staring at the clock and they're whistling it as it hits double zeros, and then as they're whistling it, the ball is being snapped. So that makes sense to me why that rule is in place, but the problem is it's weird and it doesn't work. So here is my suggestion to replace it, okay? And my solution is really simple. My solution to fix the delay of game issue is this. Extend the play clock to 30 seconds, and the referee who's looking at the clock, as soon as it hits double zeros, blow the whistle. Plays over. If the ball is snapped, doesn't matter. If the ball isn't snapped, delay of game. So here's what's going to happen. Is at first, this is going to cause some confusion, and it's going to be weird, and teams are going to complain, oh, well, we snapped the ball. It does not matter. Doesn't matter. As soon as the ball hits, as soon as the clock hits double zeros, it's a delay of game. Period. But what's got, that's going to end up happening is it's going to create effectively a 29-second play clock. Basically, the team has four extra seconds to get to the line, get lined up, and run the play. No excuses. If the ball is not snapped by double zero or if it's being snapped at double zero, you have used up your full 30 seconds. Basically, this takes all the confusion, all the unsurety, all of the ambiguousness completely out of the rule and makes it black and white. My suggestion is a 30-second play clock, and if the clock is gone, you lose the play. End of story. Okay. I hope the NFL has a better idea than mine, but that's the best I can come up with. It lacks ambiguity, and it seems like it should be simple and should make sense, even though it will cause some issues at first. All right. So here's where I'm at for my final topic of the week. The San Francisco 49ers took down the Rams absolutely convincingly on Monday night, and I'm ready to make a statement on it. I am not saying they're going to. But if the Jimmy Garoppolo-led 49ers are ever going to win the Super Bowl, it is going to be this season. Once again, I'm not saying that is going to happen, but if it is ever going to happen, it's this season. They have three of the four ingredients you would optimally like to see out of a Super Bowl winning team. What they have is an A-plus coach. Kyle Shanahan's amazing. There is no doubt about it. He's 7-0 against what we think is one of the top three coaches in the NFL and Sean McVay. They have excellent weapons. Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and Debo Samuel are absolutely legit. 
I don't love that they have a revolving door at running back, but for whatever reason, everybody who gets in there at running back seems to be able to play. It feels like CJ Anderson a couple seasons ago for the Rams where everyone they put in there can play. Now, they also have third an excellent defense. This obviously matters less than it did, you know, 10 years ago, because like I said, all the rules do lean offense, but the Rams have three ingredients. You'd really like to see. They have once again, a great offense or rather they have great weapons on offense. They have an a plus head coach and they have an excellent defense. Those are all three things you'd like to see out of your Super Bowl winning team. What they don't have obviously is an a plus quarterback but we've seen them get to the NFC championship game and get to the Super Bowl with this quarterback. So he's clearly good enough to get there. And generally speaking, if you're good enough to get there, you're good enough to win it. But what I don't like rather not there yet. Part of the reason I do like them to potentially win the Super Bowl this season is it has a lot to do with the overall lack of what we would traditionally consider a dominant team in the NFL. It does not feel like you look around the NFL in previous seasons. There's been kind of moments where you feel like, hey, it's these three teams are the field or these three teams feel like they're head and shoulders above the rest. It doesn't feel like we have that in the NFL this season. The team that we look to as our best team is the Eagles. And they currently have an unproven quarterback and an unproven head coach. So we don't actually know what the Eagles are capable of in terms of the postseason. When we last saw them in the postseason, they lost. They were down at one point, I think, 30-0 to zero against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers last season. So this season very much does feel like the playing field is level. And it feels like every single team has a major flaw. So why couldn't another team with a major flaw that we can physically point out also be considered a favorite in the San Francisco 49ers. We can look at every team in the NFL right now, every single one, and point out to them and say, hey, this is their major issue. The Bills are too reliant on Josh Allen and don't have a great offensive line. The Kansas City Chiefs, they don't have great weapons outside. The Packers don't have great weapons outside. The Buccaneers are injured everywhere. The Rams have a bad offensive line, and it's Cooper Cup and nobody else. Eagles, once again, unproven. And who else in the NFC do we trust? No one. So there is no reason that San Francisco 49ers should not be considered a real team to get to the Super Bowl, if not potentially win it. Now, here's the concerns that I have for the San Francisco 49ers. One, they're still confined to winning one way. They're not going to get into any shootouts and win. They don't have the quarterback for that. They need to keep games close. And they don't really have a great ability to be a comeback and come from behind win type of team. Once again, you kind of need a really great quarterback for that. I also have some concerns about Kyle Shanahan in terms of how he performs in the biggest moments. We've seen him get tight in the Super Bowl and blow a lead twice. So he was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. Kyle Shanahan was when they had that 28 to three lead. And he was obviously the head coach, is the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers when they blew that 10-point lead against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. So there is something to be said for each game. 28-3, to obviously you're facing Tom Brady, the most clutch player to ever play, the greatest player to ever play, and Bill Belichick, the greatest coach, to greatest defensive coach to ever coach. So there is something to be said for that game. The San Francisco 49ers, Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl, 
obviously he was one Jimmy Garoppolo throw to Emmanuel Sanders where he was open from winning that game as well. So there is something to be said for both of those, but I do worry a bit in terms of the biggest moments, what Kyle Shanahan is capable of. But I will say this much. I am, aside from Tampa Bay, because I'm a homer, I am absolutely rooting for the San Francisco 49ers to win the Super Bowl this season for one reason. The chaos in that building it creates if they do. If they win the Super Bowl, what happens to the Trey Lance experience? What happens to that? You've got a Super Bowl winning head coach and a Super Bowl winning quarterback. What are you going to do? Kick him to the curb? Because he's not good enough to what? Win the Super Bowl? If they win the Super Bowl this season, it is going to be absolute chaos in that building, and I am totally rooting for it. So that's it. That is my show. Thank you for coming to the fifth episode of the Backseat Huddle Podcast. Feel free to hit me with a like and subscribe. If you're on TikTok, feel free to like and follow. Take care, everybody.